Greetings. This is Football Unfocused Calling. (laughs) I repeat, Football Unfocused Calling. I am looking to communicate with the world of podcast listeners. This is 2022. It's a new year. It's a new podcast. It's not a new podcast. I'm trying to make it sound fucking interesting like we're doing anything innovative or different than we were a couple of weeks ago when we last knocked out this shit. But it is a new year, and I'm just hoping that maybe we can achieve something that we didn't in 2021, i.e. get some coherence from my co-host, Matthew. <laughs> I'm Mark. That's Matthew. This is Football Unfocused. Matthew, how are you? I'm, I'm okay. That was, um, have you been practicing that, that no, intro? <laughs> I, I, and, that, and, that, and, that probably, and that probably fucking shows, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's a bit different. It's a, it's a new year, Matthew. Oh, got to do something different, haven't you? Well, you know, but but still doing this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not too much different. No, still wasting time doing this shit. Um, and I have to add, actually, I don't want to start on a negative, but I'm going to. Um, the last podcast of 2021 um, is... I'm going to add it oh, to the list yeah. of podcasts that I feel the need to um, to apologise to well, our, uh, our, our, our listeners. Um, it was very much badged up as a festive episode, but my, the incompetence of my co-host and uh, producer slash editor, <laughs> Matthew, um, he managed to wipe or not record properly all of the festive questions that I uh, very asked Matthew in a very kind of astute Paxman-esque fashion um, to really get some detail about what makes Matthew tick over the Christmas period. Um, so when you now listen back to that podcast, as I did this morning, um, admittedly, it would be much better for our listening figures if I listened on the week of, uh, of publication. <laughs> but if I'm not going to help my own podcast, then who the fuck is going to help us? Um, and... Uh, Basically, I was I was astounded to um, find that none of the questions I asked you have made the final cut. Would you like to explain yourself, Matthew? <laughs> well, we can do them again now if you want. Absolutely not. We- that would be ridiculous. It's now 2022 <laughs> and I have new questions to ask you, Matthew, and you will not be ducking these. Please ensure that the record button is firmly <laughs> pressed down. Matthew, what was your favourite Christmas present? Uh... So, sorry, just for the purposes of the tape, Christmas was 10 days ago. That's 10, 11 days ago from when we're recording. So uh, Matthew is already struggling to think of what he got for Christmas. I got I got some socks. I always like it. I know people sort of get a bit sniffy about receiving socks at Christmas, <sighs> but I really like, I don't, I, you know... Because it means I don't have to die on my own. <laughs> Not that. <I. sighs> Such a dystopian answer. Socks. <laughs> what was your did you favorite. get for Christmas? Well, it's not it's not about what I got. It's what my favourite present was. I also received socks. Oh right. But but they weren't my fucking favourite present. I, <laughs> I mean, I wear socks literally every day. Apart from a few glorious days in the summer where I treat myself to a bit of flip-flop action. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I am a show-off. Because what I'm saying to the world there, and I don't care who's judging me for this, I've got that many socks that I wear them every day. (laughs) That's how well I'm doing. Yeah, that's how lush 
Plus, plus, sorry, my life has become <laughs> yeah. good. Matthew, second question after that awful, inadequate <laughs> response to question one. How was your New Year's Eve, Matthew? What frivolity did you embark upon? You and Joe, I'm assuming you did something like crazy. <laughs> Please enlighten us. Yeah. For, it, uh, just, just, this is going to be the first big anecdote of 2022, everyone. So strap in. <laughs> Come on. Uh, we watched, I rented, I really splashed out, I felt, um, and I rented James Bond, the new one, for like 14 quid. I rented? Where do you go? Blockbuster video? I mean, I, <laughs> I know you've moved to Glossop, but is Blockbuster video still going strong in Glossop? <laughs> what did you do? You were down south, weren't you? Southwest. Um, I, well... I had a landmark birthday in the year 2021, in the autumn of 2021, that unfortunately the celebrations of which were um, undermined by my um, um, da- darling girlfriend uh, having COVID-19, not not COVID-20, she stuck with a 19, and, <laughs> um, and that meant that the lovely week, well, three-day stay in a spa in the beautiful town of, or city, should I say, of Bath, um, uh, had to be delayed until, as it turned out, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year. So we actually had New Year in uh, the fine city of of, of Bath, and um, I regard myself as pretty well travelled in the UK. But that that was quite a big gap in my um, in my experience. I'd never properly been to Bath before, and what a place! It's beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing. He, he <laughs> feels like you're you're trying to get some. Um... I don't know, drum up some sponsorship or from something. The from the Bath Tourist Board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Visit Southwest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I thought we I thought our when when we surprised you at your birthday, that was that that kind of made up for any mm, sort of I mean did it not? Me, your mum and dad. Yeah, you you being there. <laughs> Uh, I mean, other yeah. other other friends that were there. That was a big. That was a lovely, lovely uh, bonus. Uh, yeah, and of yeah, course, yeah. Joe being there was fantastic. Um, and always yeah. great to see my folks. Um, but yeah, the rest was. Uh, when I say the rest, I mean specifically you being there was really put quite a dampener on the day. Um, and then, of course, we ended, at Liverpool end up drawing three all with Brentford on the same day as well. So you know, it swings and ups and downs. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So that that was my new year. But this isn't about me, Matthew. This is about uh, you. <laughs> Final question, Matthew. Mm. Have you made a New Year's resolution for the year twenty twenty two? I was, yeah, I was on. Um, do you know Zwift, the the cycling app thing? I've heard indoors. of it. Yeah, I was on that the other day, and I wrote a message because somebody said, "Has anyone got it?" And I said, I need to go to the gym a bit more and do, do some weights. I think I need to do some weights. Getting a bit, getting, getting some moves. Are you getting a I bit saggy all, in your, as you, it, as you rapid, as you hurtle towards your <laughs> fifth decade? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, either I need to get some moves or I need to get a, a more of a supportive. Do you know those? You just need a better bra. Rate? Yeah, well, those kind of heart rate monitor things that the footballs will wear, but mm. effectively look like sports bras. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I should just get one of those. But they're not going to cure your um, moves if you're. If well, moves when I run around, huh? Well, yeah, but or you know, it's more just people seeing them and 
And, uh, well, seeing the moves or up. seeing your sports bra? No, seeing my moves. Or when I run around, seeing them bounce Ah, around. so you want to, you want to contain them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And now I get it. Okay. <laughs> just, just, just to clarify, I'm going to go through your answers now. Your New Year's <laughs> Eve... You, I'll keep them in. New Year's so Eve, you had maybe, maybe a glass of champagne, <laughs> uh, but little more. And you rented James Bond from Blockbuster Video. You, <laughs> Your favourite Christmas present, well, you, you took a while to remember that you'd had any Christmas presents, but your favourite Christmas present was a, a pair of socks because you like having socks. Uh, your words, not mine, Matthew. Uh, not my words, Matthew, the words of Top Gear magazine. And, <laughs> and uh, your last answer was that your New Year's resolution was to either uh, work off your moves or hide your moves. (laughs) 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 Incredible. Incredible. Good God. Uh, What a a waste of everyone's time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about football. (laughs) Matthew, I thought that today we could do something that is unusually for us, kind of the type of thing that you'd hear on, uh, you know, Five Live or Sky Sports or something, oh. which is to kind of look at the um, the Premier League. Pause, please. I'll just use that as an interlude. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, um, yeah, so I thought we'd just talk about some things that are kind of prescient in football as of today, uh, 6th of January. I mean, that in itself is interesting because I should be this evening up the Arsenal um, to watch the first leg of uh, the League Cup, Rumbelow's Cup, as I like to call it, as a traditionalist. Um League Cup semi-final first leg. But that, as with many games over this uh, quite unsettling period of time, has gone the way of COVID. As I believe I predicted in the uh, in the last podcast that COVID would cause some significant problems over the Christmas period just because of the um, proximity of so many games and the kind of recovery time and the inevitability of how this shit spreads. Um, and really just... I don't really want to bang on about that because I think that's just going to work itself out the way it, the way it does. Some clubs, are, you know, each week a different club will inevitably have a a kind of spike and it will probably settle down by late um, winter, early spring. And as we said before, we've got no, they've got no choice but to finish the season. But I kind of want to look at the Premier League at the halfway stage and think about kind of who's stood out, who's doing really well, who's struggling, who's gone below expectations, comparing and contrasting it with what people were saying at the uh, at the beginning of the season and kind of um, dishing out opinions, basically. And and the, the trouble we're doing this, Matthew, is that, you know, most of those opinions and the, the, the knowledge behind it is going to be held by me, isn't it, really? Because, uh, you know, I mean, have you actually... Wa- can, can I actually just ask, have you watched a game of football this, this season? 
Oh, that's a pretty that that's you you I don't know why you, I don't know why you do this to me. Also <laughs> the podcast in general. Well, yeah. well in other words, admit that you haven't actually So the answer to my question is no, you haven't watched a game of football. So in terms of your observations, I mean would you would you say that there are teams that are standing out Man or, City. Man or, City yeah. they're doing pretty well. They are doing pretty I mean they are top of the league. It's quite interesting. I think the last time we recorded the podcast the top three were all within kind of four or five points of one another. And everybody was kind of saying, Oh, this is going to be the greatest title race for years because there's actually going to be a three horse race. And now it looks very much uh like a one horse race. You know, City as things stand to that, 10 points clear of Chelsea, 11 points clear of Liverpool. Um, Liverpool have a game in hand. So the best, the best, the, the closest scenario that um, we can hope for in terms of the title race is a kind of eight point gap between Liverpool and Man City. Um, and you know what? I think that when, you know, when, when we kind of look at that, it's, it, it's quite easy to, um, to kind of almost roll your eyes a little bit at, at Man City. But I think sometimes you have to take a step back and understand just how amazingly good and relentless they are. And they managed to combine all the qualities of a team that are just hardened, chiselled, relentless winners with playing beautiful, almost perfect football. Like they're They're incredible. They really are incredible. And... I'm not one. Of, I know that you know over the last um, three or four years. Clearly, as a Liverpool supporter, City have been the biggest obstacle in terms of kind of winning trophies and the the kind of biggest rivals. But they'll never be rivals in the same way that certain other clubs from the same city are. It, not even close. In fact, I've <laughs> frankly I like to see them do well because of how much it pisses off off the other lot. So. If we're not going to win the title, I'm I'm quite happy that it's them, and and I've, I I struggle to dislike them because, for a start, Pep Guardiola is objectively an absolute genius and revolutionary um, force in in football management. He's just got an almost perfect record everywhere he's gone. People look, like to go on about oh he, he hasn't won the Champions League since he was at Barcelona. The Champions League winning it is an is an incredible achievement, and it, it is the pinnacle. It is, in my opinion, and I think in most you know elite clubs opinion it is the biggest thing you can win it's bigger than winning in a domestic league however it is a lottery you can be knocked out of the Champions League by just having one off day whereas City over a sustained period of time are just you know bordering on the perfect and you know this time last year they had kind of hit their form in a very similar way as they appear to have done now and they never turned back they just kept winning and winning and winning until they won the league and they won the league at cancer last year although if you if you listen to the you know the narrative of pundits at the beginning of this season who all seem to be thinking that Cristiano Ronaldo signing um for uh, for the other lot would would mean that they would win a league on the basis that they came second last year without acknowledging all of the variables that were in their favor last year that kind of fell into their lap and gave them a disproportionately good season um and that how unlikely it was that that was going to repeat itself. No one acknowledged that. You know that. I mean, I I could talk all day about particularly Robbie Savage as a as an an ignoramus of a pundit. Um, and you know, repeat. It's even worse now that he's got a he's got a son who's um, 
had made his debut in a Champions League game at Old Trafford just before Christmas. So that makes him even more... He never he was never good enough to play for them, but yet he is sycophantically obsessed with just, just la- lavishing them with praise, predicting that they're going to win everything whenever it goes, and, and, and refusing, abjectly refusing to critically analyse the impact that signing Ronaldo has had on the club. With not being intelligent enough to recognise that you can acknowledge that Ronaldo is one of the greatest players ever to have played the game, but at the same time admit that, well, just look at the evidence objectively and admit that his presence in that side is having a hugely detrimental uh, effect, as as I believe it, it does, and I think a lot of people in football believe it does, or believe it is. And it's interesting because when you look at the, the city of Manchester, the two clubs there, really, they're at different ends of the scale in terms of who's who's been an, an incredible achiever in the first half of the season and who is, you know, sort of nowhere near. And, you know, the, the idea that there would be a 22-point gap between those two clubs um, by after 19, 20 games... Um, would have been unimaginable um, at the start of the season. But that is where we're at. And it's consistent with where we were at before last season. That was the gap um, in 18-19 and 19-20. 2021 was an an anomaly for so many reasons. And And I think that too many people allowed themselves to be kind of seduced by supposed trends that would... Um, kind of manifest themselves as a result of that. And basically, normality has returned. I, I had a pop, um, a few podcasts back about the standard of punditry and how they, I think there should be ramifications for pundits who do their job incredibly badly by making, um, you know, it's not just predictions, because I don't think punditry is necessarily about predictions. It's not a bloody betting app. But just sweeping generalisations and kind of going along with received wisdom. And... and and receive wisdom that is that is kind of created by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about in the first place. And there was every reason going into this season to think that Chelsea have just won the Champions League and Liverpool and Manchester City have overall been the most dominant clubs over the last five or six years. So, you know, they're going to be the, the three strongest teams. But just, you know, I don't need to bang on about it. Just, just look back and see who was predicting what at the start of the season and uh, the reasons they were giving and the... Uh, you know the the ludicrous obsession with celebrity signings and how, despite the fact that everything in in the history of football suggests otherwise, the fact that that would kind of make an instant impact and make all the difference and rock clubs who have been steadily building intelligently with a with a sort of philosophy and a plan over a long period of time. So yeah, I think I mean the Premier League is basically as good as done. Um, now, I know that you could argue. Uh, I mean, from my perspective as a Liverpool fan, if we win our game in hand, which is at home to Leeds, which is very winnable, we win eight points of Manchester City. But this isn't like how the Premier League used to be. You know, if you were um, in the 90s when you used to be able to win the league and, and, you know, a certain club regularly did with sort of 78 points or something like that, then fine, you can lose six, seven games and still get... You know, it used to be... um, uh, again, a bit of received wisdom that you could kind of click into gear after Christmas and go on a, a hell of a run. You can't do that now. If you give Manchester City an eight-point lead, a 10-point lead, whatever, they'll get 95, 96 points minimum 
you can't catch them. You just cannot catch them. They, they are so relentless and so good. They find a solution to every problem that is presented to them. They can deal with every type of opposition. Yes, they're not perfect. They're not unbeatable. The Champions League final last year showed that. And they've still, you know, they're, they're, there is a vulnerability there to a certain extent. But over a 38-game season, they're, they're going to come out on top. And I think I would have to be wildly optimistic, bordering on the delusional to expect um, to expect Liverpool to to catch them but that doesn't mean coming second to Man City does not mean you've had you know a bad season I think both Chelsea and Liverpool have, have, have had really strong first halves of the season Chelsea might be a little bit disappointed because obviously they won the Champions League they signed Lukaku and everyone thought right that's going to be the difference they got a bit unlucky that he's been missing for a quite a long period of time and then he's obviously had a quite complicated last week he was left out for a game for, for giving an interview going on about how much he loves his pre- previous club but I think that's a bit of a storm in a teacup at the end of the day they'll no doubt you know they were great last night uh, against Tottenham uh, in the in the League Cup and you know they'll they'll definitely finish kind of second or third and, and same same with Liverpool just pointing out a couple of clubs that I think have done really well kind of noteworthily well I would I would particularly pick out um, Wolves Brighton and West Ham they currently sit in Sixth, eighth, and ninth, and like I mean Brighton, I think after the first sort of five six weeks of the season, were in the top four consistently. They have had a wobble, but then they really rallied again, and they're a really interesting case because they play um, uh, really good football. They play quite brave football, and this is this is one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing over the last um, last few years with the, the kind of evolution of the type of manager that now um, gets given a chance in, in the Premier League and even in the Championship and below. I think the, the days are of calling in a Tony Pulis, Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew are blessedly over. Um, and that the trend now is to look for coaches who have a often a you know a an idiosyncratic and inventive um, approach to the game. They've They've got a kind of a little bit of a you know a tactical um, uh, quirk um, or something kind of you know just new and innovative about them that you know so the days of st- you know the answers to staying up is to um, you know bring in the the big lads or the experienced lads and tighten up at the back and you know launch it forward and look for you know some battering round one nil wins or whatever I think I mean I'm, there'll always be a certain a place for that in football but that thankfully that that's dying off and people are looking at things now a lot more kind of coherently and Brighton are a really good example of that they've been since getting promoted four or five years ago they've just been slowly building and building they're such such a solid t- team now and if they could actually um, finish off the amount of games that they dominate that they'd be you know on another level I think they're they're probably close to the peak of realistically where they could get to because of the size of club and the budget and all that but still they've only lost four games out of their first 19 that is absolutely remarkable they draw they draw too many um I think they've drawn nine which is like the joint most in the in the entire division but you know if you'd said to a Brighton fan 10 years ago that you'd be on 27 points at the halfway stage of the Premier League and actually a little bit disappointed with it they'd have they'd have you know, chops your hand off for it. Um, <laughs> Wolves, Wolves as well. They got rid of Nuno, who obviously then went to Tottenham and had a disastrous spell. And you know they've been go 
you know, flying under the radar. Really interesting stat about Wolves is that they've only, I think they've only scored 14 goals, but yet they've got 28 points, eight wins and four draws. And they've got the highest um, goals, sorry, points per goal ratio of any team in, in top flight history at this stage of the season. So it means that of their 14 goals that they've scored, the impact of those goals has been immense because they're keeping so many clean sheets that they're, uh, you know, a, a beautiful example the other night when they had a, their win, well-deserved win at Old Trafford um, on, what was it, Monday or Tuesday. Um and you know it's, it is it is quite remarkable, but they but it doesn't sound like it sounds from that kind of narrative that they're grinding out um, attritional one 0 wins. But that there there has been a certain element of that. But they're actually playing a lot more open football than they were in the, under the previous regime. So they're definitely worthy of note. And West Ham just go continually go on to you know just achieve amazing things. I mean once again they're uh, fifth in the table at the halfway stage. They're a point behind. Uh, a Champions League place, and you'd say they've got every chance of achieving that. The only the only thing that will probably limit their chances again is just their lack of squad depth. You know, if they if they have a, a forward player or two missing, or um, or a midfielder, if Declan Rice was to get injured, for example, uh, that really would absolutely screw them. But they are, you know, I, I, there was a time when I said this through gritted teeth, but they've actually. I think you know whether it's because of my proximity to the to them geographically or whatever, but they have grown on me a little bit, and um, you know you have to respect their their achievement. And they've kind of slotted into a space that was occupied by Leicester for a few years. Leicester have definitely had a slump, and they would go down as one of the underachievers in the first half of the season based on how they've performed over the last few years. But then possibly you have to question that and think, well, they are still Leicester. They're a kind of medium sized. Um, Premier League club that have had a remarkable few years they managed to win the, the league and the FA Cup two trophies they've never won in their history and they won them both in the last five years and they've just had a bit of a wobble this season but they've also had a lot of injuries to, to deal with but their their ability to, fend, to defend um, seems to have got out the window annoyingly apart from uh, on the uh, 28th when they played Liverpool on that day their defending was magnificent <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, so they've 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 I guess um, had a bit of a wobble. And Everton, you know, I take no pleasure in saying this, but my God, like <laughs> they're an absolute basket case of a club, and uh, they seem like they're in big. And if this were any other season, they would be in big trouble because they're only six points clear of the, um, or sorry, eight points clear of the relegation zone. But when you've got three teams in 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 the bottom three who have won. Um, four games between them so far this season at the halfway stage, then you think, well, what, realistically, they're not going to make up an eight-point deficit to to Everton. So three of the bottom four are going down, basically, as I think, again, I said before Christmas, and that's become even more pronounced um, now. So Watford, Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich. And I'd say you'd probably have to back Newcastle to be the one to stay up just on the basis that they'll probably buy some decent players this month that could make a difference I mean they've got they've brought Kieran Trippier who is still you know an England international a current England international right back and that's a you know a player like that would not be signing for a club uh, with 11 points after 19 games unless you know he was either being paid an extortionate amount of money or 
believed that he was going to be part of a project that could see him have a successful few years. So I actually do think Newcastle will stay up. And I think also another thing that will help them, I think in any other season, if you only had 11 points after 19 games, so, you know, on track to get 22 points, which is nowhere near enough to um, to stay up, you'd be fucked. But Watford, who are the team sitting in 17th, have only got 13 points. Um, despite having four wins, they've they've lost 13. They've actually only only drawn one game, and their 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 form seems to have um, uh, gone off the rails again a little bit. They, they had a really big win in November that cost Solskjaer's job, um, but since then have kind of wobbled a little bit. A little bit unlucky against Tottenham the other day, I think on New Year's Day. But I just yeah, I think they'll go down, and I've got a feeling Newcastle will replace them. So it's been a in a lot of ways, a kind of predictable as you were season, but there are some interesting stories in there. But the, the, the only other point I wanted to make was that the um, this weekend is the FA Cup third round. And, um, you know, even you, Matthew, as a, as, a, as a young boy, when you start watching football, for me, the FA Cup third round, as children of the, uh, of the early 80s, who would then get our first experience and exposure to football in the late 80s, uh, mid to late 80s and then through the 90s um, the FA Cup will always have a really really um, special kind of almost sacred place um, for me in my love of football and I regard it as a very very special competition I hate the way that it has been damaged and undermined um, by the kind of you know more um, financially rewarding um Premier League and Champions League etc over the last uh, 25 years or so but for me it'll always be a special thing and the third round weekend was always like a massive highlight when I was a kid it was just absolutely uh, insane how excited I used to be by it like like I think back to I think it was 1991 when Wrexham who were literally bottom of the four divisions at the time beat Arsenal who were the reigning uh, champions maybe in, yeah I think it was January 92 actually so Arsenal won the league in 91 so I think it was a 91-92 season and Wrexham beating Arsenal and that was at a time when it was absolutely devastating to get knocked out of the FA Cup because it was such a big deal days like that on a cold kind of Saturday at the beginning of January are just part of what made football such a special thing why it was so alluring and uh, I still have a very kind of you know traditional um, and almost childlike love of the FA Cup based on kind of memories like that and uh, and you know to, to me the, F- the FA Cup still does throw out some like watching Leicester win it last year and how much it meant to them to win that competition for the first time in their history was was absolutely brilliant so I really look forward to the FA Cup third round and I think that anyone who um well, this is very much my personal opinion, but anyone who I hear who claims to uh, love football but then talks about how they're not bothered by the FA Cup can fuck right off. They're not they're not proper football fans as far as I'm concerned. The FA Cup is absolutely brilliant. And that is despite the fact that looking objectively at the FA Cup third round draw for this year, it is a load of shit. Like it is <laughs> there's some real like it is it's really difficult to um to pull out um, many exciting ties. But there are, you know, even like Friday night, tomorrow night, Swindon Town, 
hosting Manchester City, you know, live on telly. It's absolutely brilliant for them. They're live on the BBC uh, down at the county ground in Swindon. Probably the biggest game that they've had since they were in the Premier League in the 93-94 season. That's, that's brilliant. That And don't underestimate how financially as well that can basically bankroll that club for the next couple of years and the money they'll make from that through TV revenue and uh, and gate receipts. And, that's, and, and to... to um, uh, really uh, accentuate how much I love the FA Cup. I'm going to a game on Sunday. I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm not going. I say I love the FA Cup. Liverpool drawn Shrewsbury at home, and I sold my ticket for that. Um, but so obviously don't love it that much. But I am actually going to um, West Ham against Leeds just because tickets were only twenty quid, and I'll, it'll be you know played up the road, and uh, I just you know want to go to an FA Cup game and. Uh, can't wait, Matthew. <laughs> it's special. It's the oldest competition in the world, Matthew. Well, older than the uh, like the Ryder Cup or something. It's the oldest football competition in the world. Oh, right, no, sorry. I think it is older than the Ryder Cup because the Ryder Cup will be the Ryder Cup won't be as old as the Open, will it? Is it old? <laughs> is it older than the Olympics? Uh, I mean, that's quite <laughs> unlikely, seeing as that goes back to ancient Greece. It's a let's not get bogged down in. Uh, all that history, you know. Yeah, I'm more bothered about the uh, the hundred in uh, in um, county cricket. <laughs> cricket. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a competition with real pedigree and history. That is, it's at least uh, nine months old, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. On the European Super League, let's hope that rears its head again this year. You know, let's really get into that. Yeah, and on that on that controversial bombshell, it's time to say Happy New Year to you all. Thanks for listening to this shit. And we will see you again soon.